This is the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting and fishing radio on the AHP Digital Radio Network. Visit us at australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Sit back, relax and enjoy. Here's the host of the show, Jason Selms. Welcome back to the Australian Hunting Podcast, hunting, shooting, and fishing radio. It's great to have you back for another episode. Uh, today's show, I'm actually going to be talking again. We had him on our previous show, and I might, I might add, actually, one of our really, really good quality shows that was heavily downloaded. It was the State Forest Hunting, uh, Tips and Trips for State Forest Hunting. And uh, the person coming onto the show today, probably by the time you listen to this, you would have already read the title. It's Daz Hawkins from Into the Mountains. Now, he's pretty prominent within the industry. He's also got a YouTube channel called Into the Mountains. So I urge everyone to uh, go on there and check it out. And uh, that was a really, really good show. And Daz had a lot of tips and tricks. I just didn't, didn't think about 15 minutes uh, was long enough to delve into all this stuff. So I said, mate, down the track, why don't we do another show? And uh, a couple of months later, probably three months later, here we are. We're going to talk about everything from hunting in Victoria to hunting around Australia. We're just going to have a general chat because that's what people love. People love hunting, people love shooting, uh, and they love the outdoors. So it's going to have yeah, it's going to be really awesome to have Daz on the show in just a few moments. Uh, anyone that uh, wants to check out the show, of course, you know, we've got a website. I say every show, australianhuntingpodcast.com.au. Uh, if you want to email me for any reason, australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, and if you want to leave me a voicemail, uh, go to the website and click on the leave voicemail icon. It's on the right-hand side slider bar. Uh, I think it's about 90 seconds and you can leave me a voicemail. And uh, I'm, I'm trying to gather a few more and then we're going to pretty much, I think, do a show about it. Maybe a Q&A, maybe just the questions that come in, maybe even bring on a few guests to answer some of those questions. Not sure exactly how I'm going to structure it yet, uh, but I've been really enjoying just just talking about hunting i think hunting is awesome uh i just went away for the easter long weekend even though i was unsuccessful i really just just it was so good to be away it really was just enjoying the campfire mates uh weather was much hotter <laughs> than i anticipated but you know that's uh, i guess that's what you have to expect in april sometimes it can be really cold and sometimes it can be really warm and uh i had a friend who went a, went away a week later and he said the same pretty much the same spot we were just freezing his balls off like it's funny how things change uh just over a week so you want to join us too patreon.com forward slash ahp someone did ask me the other day i don't get this too often but someone said why don't i do the podcast full time uh, I've got a full-time job like everyone else does, and uh, I've got to keep that full-time job. I've got to keep money rolling in. I keep saying to my friends, family, and people that know me as well, if I had just had 50% of the people that listen to the show supporting me on Patreon, uh, I'd have a lot of money, and I'd be doing the show full-time, and I could probably do two to three shows minimum probably per week. But uh, unfortunately, full-time job, so all I can do is uh, one every fortnight, especially when it takes a lot of time, guys, to you know, write questions, get in contact with the people that I'm interviewing, set down of time yeah sometimes they're busy as well they've got things to do they're going hunting uh it just takes time and uh you know again most people that i do interview also have full-time jobs as well so it's not always possible so if you do want to support the show and keep this decade-long podcast that we've been running here the longest and best and most downloaded podcast in australia then uh please support me on patreon patreon.com forward slash ahp and even though i 
Talk to, uh, yeah, I, I thank my Patreon supporters. I probably don't thank them enough, even though I do it on every show. You guys keep the show going. That's why I'm still doing this show. I keep saying it to them. I can't thank you enough. I can't thank you for helping me to continue the show, to, you know, to cover my costs in regards to equipment, to travel around, uh, to do interviews, to get interviews, time-wise, uh, microphones, all that sort of stuff. It is all thanks to the people that support me on Patreon. So, uh, guys, I really couldn't do it without you. I know I say it a lot, but I just want to drill it into your head that I really really do appreciate it and i couldn't do it without you guys so if you want to support me it's not expensive if you love the show um you know i'd love for you to support me too if you can't then share it with your friends and family share it on uh, instagram facebook all those avenues i'd really really appreciate it and pretty much at this point we are on every single platform you could possibly imagine we're spotify yeah Castbox, stitcher you can listen to it on the website you can download it from itunes uh it, Pretty much at this point, if we're not everywhere, we should be, but you'll find a place to listen to the show just by typing in Australian Hunting Podcast on Google. So we really appreciate everyone that listens to the show. Uh, again, I couldn't do it without you all. We've also got lots of shows coming up. I think it's going to be an absolutely fantastic 2021, provided COVID doesn't rear its uh, stupid, ugly head yet again. Let's hope it doesn't. I think I, by the time of doing this show, what time am I doing this show? 15th of April. Uh, I think they had one case in Victoria. So let's hope that doesn't blow out because we do want to be going hunting. We don't want to be stuck in our homes again. Our business is going to the wall. We definitely definitely you know, don't want that we just want to get back to normal get back to the outdoors get back to our passions doing what we love and if you've got any recommendations for shows please let me know email me australianhuntingpodcast at gmail.com i'd love to if you've got any guys your people not just guys i should say that's a, probably a figure of speech but girls or anything if you've got anyone that you would like to hear on the show certainly flick me an email and i'll try and do my uh, absolute best to to get them on the show if you've got any ideas on shows you know please let me know what do you want to hear i'd love uh, for you to get in contact with me so i can make the shows uh, that you enjoy our numbers have been going up especially recently been going up quite, quite considerably um, there was a bit of a stagnated period there probably for the last year probably because of covid but uh, now it's starting to pick up and i'm really really happy with the numbers that are that are coming in so thank you to all the people that support the show you guys are legends uh anyway enough of me absolutely crapping on because you don't want to listen to me you want to listen to daz hawkins from into the mountains so let's get into my interview with daz hawkins daz welcome to the show man thanks for joining me i really appreciate it how you been yeah it's been uh i've been good it's been a bit of a whirlwind week for me uh i've been off uh hunting for a couple of weeks and i've just come back to Something that you probably haven't uh, had introduced on your show before. I just went and had a an ultrasound with my lovely wife, and we saw the heartbeat of our um, new uh, first first baby on the way. So oh, wow. it's a very exciting day. <laughs> yeah, you didn't even tell me that before we just started the show. So <laughs> uh, a bit of a bomb to drop. Yeah, springing the big one. So first child. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Yeah, nice. so it's exciting. So I'm going to get as uh, much hunting time, and I'm sure there's lots of guys out there that can relate to this, and they'll. I've heard lots of guys saying to me that my hunting days are ruined and that's all. <laughs> I think so. I we'll, think we'll so. See, we'll, see, we'll see how it pans out. But, yeah, it's pretty exciting for me. It's good. And um, after a couple of weeks up in the bush to come back to that, it's really topped it off. It's been great. Yeah, congratulations. You said your first child, so you haven't got one, any others. So that's good, man. Yeah. It's uh, Yeah, it's certainly going to be – I mean, I don't have any kids, so I can't really say. But, I mean, I'm sure from all <laughs> my friends that I see, it's, yeah, good times ahead, difficult times <laughs> ahead. And hopefully you can yeah. uh, get the missus on board so you can go continue to do some more hunting as well. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I worked out the rut times. I've avoided all those. 
so that's a good start. So it's only probably new. I don't want to go too far into this, but uh, it's not a boy or a girl yet, or don't know yet, or keeping no, it a secret. Or... Yeah, keep it a secret. I'd like to know, but no, she Tessa, Tessa, uh, she rules on that front, so it's surprised it is. Yeah, nice, man. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> hopefully everything goes well, man, and everything's safe and, you know, the little you know, boy or girl is born into the world and probably, what, another nine, eight, nine months or however far you are along, so. Yeah, yeah, uh, good stuff. Yeah, but, yeah, hunting, uh, I just spent up uh, for those that, yeah, um, follow a bit of the YouTube stuff I do. Yeah, Stewie, the guy I've been over in New Zealand with a few times and hunt every year with, he's, um, he's up in New South, so. Drove up to meet him for a couple of weeks on the, the red deer and um, we missed out last year because of restrictions and whatnot. So it was a lot of anticipation and um, and planning and the, the weather nearly got us this time. We had apparently a once in 100 year storm hit New South just as I was driving up. So I was right in the thick of that and uh, big some big detours, but you know, it paid off. We um, we really had a hard time finding the deer this season with uh, what we call the year of plenty. You know, this season so wet and food everywhere. We were doing some massive kilometres every day to try and get onto some animals. But uh, we got some good footage and we got it done in the end. So just working on a new a new flick at the moment. It's good. Yeah, it always seems to be the way, doesn't it? Every time we want to go hunting, including me, I'm like, you know, it hasn't rained here for like six months, but the weekend <laughs> I want to go, yeah, it's, it's deciding to rain. <laughs> Yeah, when those long-term plan trips, you just got to just bite the bullet and go, I think. You know, sometimes the weather guys are right, sometimes it fizzes out. I think once you commit and you've got that time off, just go and just, uh, you know, be comfortable being uncomfortable is the ticket for those ones. Yeah, I know. And those, those weather people, man, I tell you what, they're bastards of people sometimes because I've been on hunts where they said, oh, you know, one to five mil, and I said, eh, it's not too bad, and it's just been <laughs> shocking. Like, not pissing down all day, it's just that constant all day rain and you're like i don't think i think this is a bit more than one to five mils and then all of a sudden you go to the next one one to five and yet like fizzles out into oh yeah a little bit of a drop there drop here on the on the you know car window (laughs) that's really about it and it passes on and you're like i'm glad i still came yet there's other times i'm thinking oh man i wish i totally wasn't here because this is the worst uh, they're certainly lucky that they're not accountable for that job. There'd be there'd be lots of uh, high staff turnover, I reckon. Yeah, I know exactly. And guys, <laughs> if you don't remember too, we had Daz on a show. We did a, a public land hunting tips and tricks. And surprisingly, Daz, I mean, even though I was talking in there, I don't really know what I'm talking about to be honest. I just gave some tips and tricks. Hopefully, that I've learnt, you've learnt few guys that I've had on the show, which are just regular people. And I think that's who people want to hear from, people that have been out there doing it. Um, and, yeah, it's actually surprisingly taken over all shows that I've done in the last 12 months. I've had shows that I've done two years ago that were right up the top, especially in regards to deer hunting, and pretty much stuck on top for the entire two years. We did that show. Within one month, they all got blew it, blown out of the water. It's crazy. Wow, that's great. Yeah, that's a, that's really good uh, feedback from uh, from those tips and tricks and i'm the same when i watch um or listen to uh, content yeah that's what i'm looking for those little those little hidden gems the little gold nuggets you know there's uh there's a wealth of knowledge out there and to being able to tap into it that's key exactly and people were surprisingly like even though we weren't talking exactly full on always about hunting people were like oh, i didn't think about that you know back at camp or i didn't think about you know this particular item or i didn't think about that and i thought yeah it's, it's good even the smallest things sometimes and you think that's going to make my life easier when I go hunting. And, you know, I've, that's how I've learned tips and tricks from shows like yours and Steve and other guys on the internet and other you know, channels or other podcasts around Australia. I mean, there's some fantastic content to, to learn a lot of different things. Yep. 
Yeah, that's what it's all about. You know, we're all together. We grow with that knowledge base. And, um, you know, Australia's got a lot to offer, and Victoria especially, um, where, down where I'm from, it's got a lot to offer on that front, that's for sure. Sure do. Anyway, you were talking about your trip away. I don't think we said whether you actually got anything. Did you say whether you got anything? I don't think you did. Uh, I took a meat animal in the end. Um, the fallow deer were, were on the menu right from the start, but it was quite warm. The days were still getting up to about 20 degrees. So we made a plan. We said we're going to be um, – Yes, we're specifically after um, red deer trophy animals on on the properties that we were on, and we said right from the start that uh, you know that's the key focus. But the property owners don't want the fallow on there. Um, I don't know too much about the uh, the game management that goes on all year round, but um, the the word is that the uh, the fallow deer aren't welcome there. So we uh, <laughs> shoot the fallow, shoot the fallow. Yeah. Yeah, so we saw a few around in early days, but by the time it got to kind of the three or four day mark left in the trip, we switched to meat mode. And um, yeah, there was in the end, um, and you'll see it on the film, there was, there was an unlucky fellow buck that came uh, along a game trail. So yeah, he uh, he ended up getting put in the chiller box. Nice. When can we? When are you expecting to put that out? Because as I said to most guys when I was doing the intro, we're recording this roughly fifteenth uh, of April, twenty twenty one. So will it be yep. out? This your show will probably be going out uh, probably next Wednesday. So I'm not sure if you'll be releasing before next Wednesday, which will be roughly about what about the twentieth? Is it about the no? Probably the twenty second, twenty third of April. Yeah, yep, it'll be around that kind of end of April. Yep, I'm going to have to do this one in two parts because I was away. I've got to crunch kind of 10 days into a, into a couple of hours, really, so I like to break them up into two parts. But, um, yeah, first part I've roughed out and I've just got to do a bit of colour correction and whatnot and then I'll get that out there. Mm-hmm. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of action. Part one and part two will actually be pretty pretty good um, little husband. Geez, we worked hard for it. We were doing you know, at least 16 kilometres a day for just – a few glimpses of deer a lot of those days it was uh it might look like we encountered a lot of animals on the edit but honestly it was <laughs> it was, it was a mission yeah. yeah it was really hard one this time around that's for sure it's crazy what they see and then you're uh, i can imagine you, your feet were pretty sore after the first and uh, first couple of days walking 16 kilometers a day but it's funny how people yeah. they watch and they go man like he's just seeing deer left right and center i was like well if you were <laughs> me walking 16 k's a day you, you would have known what hard effort's gone into probably making this video yeah i had actually a fair bit of nerve damage in my toes for a good kind of week afterwards they've just come and got their feeling back now so yeah we were hauling ass around there with pretty heavy packs a lot of camera gear on every day so yeah it's uh yeah it's a joy and being so unmountain fit you know having that whole year off has made a massive impact on me just not being even though i do fitness around the, the home it's just not the same you know i've put on bloody 10 covid kilos while i was uh, huddled up inside so yeah, that sucked, and um, yeah, the cardio one. Oh, Stewie's a machine, you know. He's uh, he's got the long legs and the right physique for it. So yeah, I was I was uh, I was feeling like a little little fat kid out there. That's for sure. <laughs> oh, I can uh, certainly relate to that. I'm sure a lot of people listening going, yeah, we need to get off our butts and start getting a couple of these. <laughs> in my case, more than a few COVID kilos off. So yeah, I'm sure people can relate. But getting back to, I guess we'll start off, and we'll talk about a bit about the, the filming later because I've got some good questions there for you as well. But Tell us about yourself. I mean, where'd you grow up? Uh, brothers, sisters, how'd you get into hunting? All, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, so you know, I'm in southeast Victoria. For the guys that don't know, I'm, um, yeah, I do a little bit of YouTube stuff and uh, I'm just, you know, another hunting tragic. <laughs> like most Aussies, I suppose, in my area, I was introduced to hunting as a young fella, you know, doing small game, you know, rabbits, foxes with the 22, the humble 22 LR. 
Um, and as I got a bit older in my teens, I picked up the archery and I started getting right into that. And it was um, it was then that I discovered deer. And uh, and about the same time, kind of getting the car license, a bit of freedom, and uh, found myself heading away most weekends just chasing these elusive things. You know, back then, I didn't even know how many species we had or that there was different ones or I could just see that there was these I see fallow around a lot and every now and then out of a group of my friends I was the only one that would see this other deer and just, I kept saying there's this other deer out here that's got these big ears you know they look different and didn't even know what they were called back then and information was kind of hard to come by no one in my circles were, was a deer hunter you know it was just um you know all small game kind of stuff and you know and then just kind of fell into it and trial and error I mean I probably wasted the best part of eight years uh, in my early days just doing the trial and error thing so I suppose I've taken a different path to, to most people now that have got a lot of information and, and things at their fingertips but um, yeah it, um, it, it made me very patient and, and um, very observant of the things around me and and uh, I've been hooked ever since I've um, just never given it up you know, 20 years later and here I am it's the same game I've always got more to learn and it's still as challenging as it always has been and and, um, yeah, I still do some other hunts on other species, but I constantly find myself comparing them to, um, to back to Samba and, and before too long, I'm totally focused back on Samba again. Yeah. I mean, what was that first part when, you know, obviously there was no YouTube back in the day. There was, uh, mm. you know, I didn't even think there was anything back then, probably many years ago when you started hunting as well. Not, not, not that we're both that old. I think we're similar in age as well. So what was that first yep. thing? I mean, I've had guys tell me, you know, they saw a, uh, you know, a, a hunting DVD or someone saw, oh, the magazine come out and they couldn't get enough of the magazines or it was getting out with their family members, their dad. I mean, what was that key first point that you remember – Holy shit! This looks pretty awesome. I, I can't wait to get into this. Yeah, there's not not something that I wasn't really influenced by by things like that. I mean, I used to get the odd the odd hunting mag, but it was more like the fur and feathers one. You know, it was always small game kind of stuff. It was actually live deer. I got access to a property up near Mansfield. Um, it was just a I went on a family holiday. It was like a little farm kind of thing, and and uh, and I asked that farmer if I could go for a hunt, and he he didn't really like hunting, but he said if you go on the door and knock on this guy, he lets people on. And I was just a bow hunter back then, and so I went around and knocked on his door, and he had great um, property up that backed up against the forest. And yeah, I went up there, and he he tried to let me go and flick some arrows around, and and I saw these group of deer, you know, and I just could not get close to these things, and I kept going back there and back there and back there, and then I saw a samba. I took my mates up there, and the the thrill of finding something that was kind of undiscovered for me was 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 the was that defining moment. And I still remember vividly that first deer, that first amber that I shot. We were coming along. We actually finished our weekend. We were packed up. We we're going along. We had a little little snig track that kind of come out of the bush back to his first paddock, and it's a quite a high ridge line. And he looked down um, into the paddock, and it was sunset. And the, I remember this light, you know, you get that golden sunset just as it's starting to yeah. j- almost set. I remember the light going down a gully and we're in a convoy. I think we had three or four cars. And out of the driver's window, I looked down this gully and I saw the light caught the back of those big ping pong shaped ears. And I just remember <laughs> seeing those ears and I went, you know, I was kind of only doing first or second gear and it kind of took me a few moments to process what I'd just seen. I slammed on the brakes and I just said to the guys, there was one of those 
deer down there, you know, the one with the big ears. <laughs> and it was like, what? what? I said, jump out, jump out. And I looked and I could see it and it's still there. And I'm just looking at this deer probably 150 metres down this steep gully right in between these two trees. There's this deer just looking straight at me and no one could see it. Anyway, one of my mates got his rifle out and he's pointing his rifle down there and he's and he's like, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. I said, I can still see it. It's right there. He says, pass it to me. And I took a shot, bang. And uh, they all said, there was nothing there. And I said, I've just shot a deer. And they said, they, they didn't believe me. So I said, right, I'll gather. <laughs> no one wanted to come down. It was steep as cliff face. We'd all packed up, ready to go home. And they thought I was, you know, dreaming. So I've gone all the way down this thing. You always needed ropes to get down there. I got there, and there it is. I've just absolutely pileaxed this deer. There he's dropped right on the spot. And it was a young uh, hind. And uh, I've, I've got it. I've got it. And, uh, I look up the guys and they still didn't believe me. They said, hold it up. <laughs> and I couldn't. It was so heavy. I'm trying <laughs> to hold the head. I couldn't get above my waist high. Uh, and finally they're like, oh, my God, you've got it. And all they come piling down the hill. And I look at them and I said, I've got to get the camera. And so I've scurried back up all the way up, going through the camera. Back then there was no phones or anything. We had, I had this old digital camera. Um, it was like one of the first digital cameras to come out. So it was a new digital camera. But I got this, went all the way down there, got there. And the boys already start running the knives through it, and I haven't even got a photo yet. I was like, he cut a deer. <laughs> Get away from my deer, you bastards. Yeah. yeah. He mates cut a deer off. I'm like, oh, I could just hold the ear back on the <laughs> – so, yeah, that was um, yeah, that was kind of – I was hooked from then on. I was like, these things exist, and, and they're way bigger, and there's way more meat. You know, we need to get more of these, you know, and that and that's how it really started. And I remember they we were holding this uh, – this book on this butchering, uh, field game butchering book we had in our pack. And one of the mates is, is, is literally reading the book while we try and work out how to get the cuts off it and stuff. And they, yeah, we were green as back then. And, uh, yeah, it was just a, a journey that we took together as, as young fellas and, and, yeah, just stemmed on from there. Excellent. Mate, we're going to go to a break. I've got a good question coming up just after the break. Camo Warehouse is Australia's leading supplier of quality hunting clothing and accessories. We stock leading outdoor clothing brands such as Rocky Boots, Georgia Boots, Hunter's Element, Ridgeline, Spiker, 511, Stony Creek and many more. Camo Warehouse is the leading supplier of optics and shooting accessories including Leopold, Bushnell, Zerotech, Lyman, Powerbeam and Lightforce. We can also order in custom Boyd stocks from the US to your specific requirements. Camo Warehouse offers as flexible, zero-interest payment options including Afterpay and ZipPay. Order via our website at camowarehouse.com.au or give us a call on 02 6771 2836. And I keep forgetting to mention, guys, use AHP10 when you check out too with Camo Warehouse for 10% off. I keep forgetting. Now, I've got a good question for you, Daz. Um, when you met your, your now wife or partner, sorry if I didn't get that right, but uh, mm-hmm. and she, you said to her, you know, listen. She finds out this this long haired bloke, or you know, <laughs> this this guy that likes hunting. What what was the original thoughts? I always ask this question on the show, and I get a lot of mixed questions. And you know, some girls are from the bush, some aren't. Some are from the city, and you know, they're not used to this hunting lifestyle. They don't really understand it. They're not sure why guys want to go out and and, and hunt animals for meat or for trophies or whatever it may be. So, what she first think when you sprung it on and you said, "Listen, babe, I'm a hunter," and she's like, "What'd she say?" Yeah, there wasn't a – so Tessa and I, um, uh, yeah, we met up at Mount Hotham. I used to work on the mountain up there, and I used to live off mountain on, on a, a big station out there just across there. There's, there's uh, a lot of guys would know Kabunga Station is quite a big area. 
And, uh, yeah, because I was off mountain and she was, you know, on the mountain when we first started seeing each other, she used to come down to the farm and stay there every now and then. And, and uh, I suppose the intro was, you know, we used to have a few targets out the back and, you know, sitting around on a day off, we'd um, have a few shots. And, you know, there was always meat as part of what I did up there. I used to, you know, shoot Samba and trade a bit of meat to my friends and take it up and down the mountains. So it was all around there. She's kind of introduced straight away. I didn't realise that she was from the city until I was out feeding the cows one afternoon and one of the highlands came right up and nearly stuck its head through the window and she's dived from the front seat into the back and I looked back and I said, where are you from again? <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, she's from being himself in town. So, yeah, she, she hit it really well and um, and I lived in this little shack. It's an old dog trapper's shack and it's, um, you know, really, really cold place. We used to have to use a little oxy torch to get the – to heat up the water pipe so it didn't so the water could flow through it in the morning you know the fr- the toilet bowl would be frozen over solid and uh, <laughs> and it was pretty rough down there dog skins all you know covered around the house and whatnot so i was surprised when she came back there she didn't um you know run for the hills but she uh yeah she kind of took into it really well and she's being that she didn't do that any of that stuff when she was younger she loves it she comes away with me a fair bit um yeah we've got a property up at, at Nuji there and we um we frequent there a fair bit and and hunt together both small game um every now and then get down on the um the birds and and deer of course is our main forte so she's really involved she took her first deer there's a bit of youtube that of that actual first one Nice. I never thought I'd see the day. There was no pressure. I, <laughs> you know, I argued a fair bit saying to her she didn't want to shoot a deer before she took it. And yeah, she um, yeah, made her mark. She's a crack shot. So yeah, it's a, it's a good match. Yeah, I know. It's always no, nah, it's always good that, isn't it? And then and then she introduced you to the uh to, to the in laws and they're like, Who's this bloody uh, you know, unwashed, disheveled hunter guy? You know, don't bring That's him it. home. <laughs> well luckily luckily her dad's actually a, a pretty avid duck hunter and oh, uh, there actually you go. I asked I asked for hit for her hand to him uh, for permission with shotgun in hand. So. Oh wow. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was I How was could he say palm. no? How could he say That's no? It. Yeah, I said, now's your chance. You got the shotgun. And <laughs> <laughs> yeah, nice. Uh, that's crazy. Hey, when you're talking about um, – we'll, I want to ask this question first, but, um, you know, I'm guessing it's probably Samba just based on what you're saying, but uh, what's your favourite deer to hunt? Is it definitely Samba or what do you like to hunt? Definitely. Yeah, definitely. I'm a Samba guy through and through, you know. Uh, I've been chasing these these deer for over 20 years and, and um, yeah, it's just never gotten old. It's just uh, – yeah, it's for me. They hold a pretty special place. You know, yeah, still challenging. That's just um, it, it, we've got such good access here for it. You know, I just uh, like I said before, I just kind of always comparing them back everything else back to Samba and the lessons I've learned from there. You know, I applied it to every other hunt that I do, and you know, I'm always trying to relate that back. Even when I was wearing the reds, you know, I was using Samba tactics. Uh, as soon as I kind of realised they were all back in the bush and they weren't in the field like they normally are, it was um, I felt really at home to be honest, and they weren't really roaring. So that old needle in a haystack thing is what I'm kind of used to. So yeah, those skills really paid off there. When you're not hunting deer, I mean, I know you're always probably dreaming about deer, but when you're not dreaming about deer, what what else do you like to hunt? I mean, you know, you said from rabbits earlier, you did some fox shooting. What else do you like to hunt when you get the opportunity? Yeah, I, I still really enjoy the, the small game. I think, um, you know, staying and always kind of polishing to be a, a well-rounded hunter is important. You know, I still pick up the bow, the shotgun, you know, the small games. I shoot, you know, rabbits probably more than anything. I've, I've always, you know, I've got a little bit of acreage where I am now and rabbits in the backyard and 
we grow our own veg and stuff like that. So that kind of um, management type of thing is always there. And the dogs absolutely love it. I've got a couple of kelpies that, you know, just absolutely froth on um, when, they, when they see the 22 come out of the cabinet. They know that Tucker's just around the corner, so they get a leg each. And, um, and then, you know, foxes I still find challenging. Um, I really love getting out in the foxes. And you don't do too much of that anymore on properties. We used to have access to a lot of properties, but I still love getting out and whistling up a fox. It's pretty exciting stuff. Yeah, I agree. So Samba, then what do you reckon's after that for favourite deer? You like your reds, you like your fallow, uh, you know, some people like those little small little dog hog deer, you know what I mean, the size of a small <laughs> dog, you know, some guys like that. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. rooster deer up around South Sydney sort of thing. So what do you what do you like? Yeah, I haven't hunted the rooster actually, to be honest. That's my only species I haven't been out on. Um, but no, the reds, reds would be, you know, close second. I just love – the raw, like the sound, that that sound that's so primal. It's you know that that Jurassic kind of big roar they get out of there is just unmatched in in my book. That from that vocal point of view, that's one thing I kind of miss with the with the samba and the fellow as a great table deer. Um, I find them nowhere near as challenging. Very easy to pattern. Very easy to get up on. Um, yeah, the reds are very variable and limited limited for us. We don't have like kind of a sustained you know, population here. It's just kind of little bits and pieces and fractured across our state. So yeah, they're a bit rarer to get onto. But I really enjoy my time on the reds. Yeah, that's um, that'd definitely be a close second to the samba. It's interesting. I don't know if this is true. Google told me, so I've got to take it with a grain of salt. But I, I thought Australia, the samba would be the, the biggest deer. But generally, um, from mm. what from what Google's telling me, actually, red deer is the, the biggest deer species in Australia. I didn't know that. I don't know if that's true or you knew that or, yeah. or Google's yeah, yeah. got to be totally wrong. But generally, by weight of what the largest animals would be, Wait, red deer yeah. are bigger. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. It's a bit of – I mean – it's, hind to stag ratio varies massively in the reds. It's a little bit closer with with the samba, I suppose. Um, they're, they're quite a solid uh, deer, the samba hinds. But yeah, you're up, you know, kind of commonly big stag would be around the 200 or slightly over 200 kilos. But your red deer can go up up above that for sure. Yeah. Mm, yeah, and no, it's interesting. I like the. Yeah, I mean, deer, I never thought I'd be interested in it much either, but then I didn't think I'd be interested in a lot of things. And then when I do it, I go, this is awesome. And then all of a sudden I've got no money because I'm shooting clay targets, hunting deer, trying to shoot small game, foxes, guns, 22, scopes. Like, shit just never ends, does it? never ends. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. it the, um, I think it's only natural that the kit, and your skills evolve over time, and that's what I've noticed. I, I really like people often ask me for a gear list or a, a pack list, or you know, but it changes so much for me. Each hunt for me is a different loadout. Um, yeah, if, if I've got in mind, yeah, you know, what I think the hunt's going to be like and what's required, you know, it is a luxury to have a, a few options there. But it's something that I've built up over a long, long period of time. Like when I started out. I, you know, I couldn't afford much. We used to make our own stuff. We used to make our own camo and, um, and you know, didn't even have a scope on a rifle. It was open sights kind of stuff. And, you know, as I got older and, and, and saved the pennies and worked towards better stuff and, and um, yeah, it's, it, it's kind of a different journey for everyone. You don't have to have all that latest and greatest kind of gear, but um, it does make it a bit more comfortable for yourself. It does too. You make uh, videos for YouTube. I mean, you know, a lot of people, I guess, including yourself, they like sharing their content. So what is it for you that uh, makes you want to do that? Yeah, YouTube's a bit of a beast. Um, <laughs> I mean, I've been that into That ain't that the truth. 
<laughs> yeah, I've been into photography and videography for for a long time. I, I got into it kind of in my later school days, and you know, I even used to borrow my, my dad's old camcorder and make little films of our adventures and whatnot. And I've, I've salvaged a great uh, a great old film. I first did my first backpack backpack hunt into the Morocco. It was um, nineteen ninety eight. We had very very basic gear. Um, it's pretty funny to look back at how young we were, and you know, the haircuts we had and all that kind of stuff, and. We had a yeah, our homemade camo. We're sleeping under blue tarps, just pitched out, no mats. Uh, yeah, it was cold and wet. And we were even silly enough to you know go all the way into the junction and, and shoot meat and carry it all out. You know, when you saw a deer, it was kind of it was a rare thing back then. And you'd um you know you'd travel a long distance to get it, but yeah, it's uh, it's changed a lot. I mean, filming. I mean, my my motivations about uh, filmmaking it is kind of twofold, I suppose. I mean. The first part is we've been doing it for a long time and it's it's kind of documenting our adventures and and for memory's sake, like keeping the memories alive, it's something to look back on as a keepsake and, and that I really cherish. There's lots of stuff that I keep that obviously doesn't make it to like the public realm. But the, the second part is that like it's a bit deeper than that, I suppose, that, um, and, it, and it's where the public comes into it all. It's I've been working in the hunting industry for a while and, and – I suppose I was constantly exposed to all the negative sides of the story all the time. I was just getting guys coming in, showing me pictures of chopped yeah, heads off deer and, and the impact spotlighters have and the anti-hunters always seem to be the main topic around me all the time, you know. And it just got me thinking, like, most hunters that love our way of life, what can we do as individuals to to kind of, you know, to keep, keep what we have? And so f- for me, I felt that, like, showing the good parts of why we go outside to pursue these animals like you know all the adventure and the camaraderie the camp craft um you know showing that there's much more to it than just the shot so by showcasing the good side of hunting so i was hoping to attract other you know good people that, that want to do the right thing and, and and join this healthy way of life and maybe you know just see encourage the guys that that are already out there that may not see the adventure side of things just just step outside the comfort zone a little and and um you know provide a little bit of motivation or maybe even a bit of inspiration get guys outside and off the couch yeah yeah 100 quick break guys we'll be right back over the past year the national shooting council took legal actions to protect shooters rights over gun shop closures gun reclassifications and unfair license cancellations and we did this across australia the National Shooting Council is the only truly national political action group that is taking actions to protect what we do. Help us do more during 2021. Join the National Shooting Council, which is the political organisation that you've been wanting to see there to protect shooters' rights. Does want to find out, like, when you're making videos, I mean, what's your general structured process? You know, you're going into a hunt. How does all this, you know, as you know, you've got different types of, you know, B-roll and music and all this sort of stuff. Yep. How does that all come into? How do you look at a hunt and say, well, this is how I'm going to structure a video? How, how am I <laughs> going to make this into a story that people are, are going to A, enjoy and something that I can look back on uh, in the future? Yeah, that's, it's a tricky one. Like plan, uh, <laughs> trying to, to pre plan it is very difficult. I mean, you go into it with a kind of a, I mean, say I'm going to a samba hunt uh, and it's going to be a mountain hunt. Yeah, I'm going to have the idea that I'm going to film, uh, you know, a bit of the gear that I'm using at the time, try and get a bit of like B-roll. It might be, you know, kind of a, a, a sunrise sequence or something to that effect. And you know, I'll spend a bit of time doing that, but you never really know what's going to unfold. And um, sometimes you get a lot of content out of it. 
and sometimes you don't get any uh, and, and it might mean that I might use some of that B-roll on another film. So, yeah, it, it's very hard to Damn, plan Damn, don't for give it. away all your secrets. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a tricky thing. And sometimes stuff just happens. Like sometimes like, I'll sit down, hit a camera, I'll be doing like a piece of camera and then a deer will just walk into the scene and it's just – it's absolute ass. It's, it's not. It's just no other way to say. It. You know, sometimes it just happens. And the more you're out there, I suppose, putting yourself out there, the more likely things are going to happen. Like when when your listeners see this next video, um, it, the things that happen while I was away there. You know, Stu and I were out there sitting on a, a face most afternoons, listening to this deer roll. We could not get eyes on him. He, he had to go off to a wedding. Uh, I went down to the same spot. You know, and the old you shouldn't do the same thing and expect a different result kind of thing was sinking into my head. And uh, I sat there and I was thinking how hot it was and I let out a call and, you know, this unbelievable moment in time, like something that I'll remember forever and, and luckily it was captured on film and I was sitting there in the open and this deer that had been roaring and I'd been roaring back and calling him, he had pinpointed me within 15 to 20 metres and he walked an open paddock and he covered two or 300 metres and he walked into 20 metres. I spent 15 minutes with him in excellent lighting conditions and got probably the best red deer footage, well, hands down the best red deer footage I've ever captured. It even roared at me at point blank. Wow. And it, it gave me goosebumps all over. And I, I walked away with that with the biggest smile on my face all the way back to camp. I couldn't wait to get back to camp and look back over the footage. And even, you know, I couldn't even get on. I had no reception. I couldn't even get on a stew. What had unfolded was just amazing. I didn't shoot him. I just kind of let him walk off and, I was so blown away by that whole experience to, to spend that much time with him. You know, and then there's countless things like that. And, and you can go for years and years and years. And you know, recently, um, Rob, Rob Ficklin with Beyond the Divide has just done an amazing piece on Samba, which is going uh, this year, this season seven, Beyond the Divide, and arguably some of the best Samba footage I've ever seen captured. Like, yeah, it's just to, to, to have those things happen and for him, same as me, being out there all the time trying to get this stuff, sometimes it just all lines up and falls in your lap. So, yeah, but preparation-wise, you know, getting all that gear, you know, sometimes I'm running four or five cameras, having the batteries and the SD cards cleaned up and all those, there, there's lots of mates, lots of those little things you can do to help you out. But, yeah, learning the camera and the lighting you need and um, and learning, yeah, the, the manual side of things is really important as well. That can, that can all happen. So the guys that want to get out there and um, and make their own kind of films to make their own memories, um, definitely worth something pursuing. You, you'll find a whole other aspect of your hunt, and um, it's very re- rewarding. You know, yeah, I love it. How come you didn't – what's the reason not you, you were there to shoot the deer or you just thought you'd let it go for a future, or how come you didn't shoot the shoot the deer? Yeah, I, I kind of thought that, like, I've got, you know, my You remind me of my is, mate, man, he spends more time <laughs> filming them than shooting them. I said, bloody shoot the bastard yeah. if you get an opportunity, you know? you know. Yeah, I've got, I'm the kind of guy, like, I, I look at people that have got a whole trophy room full and, and often when their, room, their trophy room is full and they've got a heap of antlers bundled up in the corner, they say to other people, oh, you should let them, grow, let them go and let them grow, you know, and I kind of think, well, it's easy for them to say because they've already got a whole room full of trophies and whatnot, yeah, you know. exactly. So I kind of, for me, there's a trophy for everyone and, and I've got quite a few good red deer like that on my wall and unless it's something unique or, or something I share with a friend, um, it's got to have like a bit of a story to it and that, that story of that deer is that, you know, I'd spend so much time trying to climb just to get eyes on him and to share that with Stewie later on. When he had gone and he wasn't going to be a part of the hunt, I – I was kind of torn between it. 
Yeah. And it just didn't feel right. Like the way he came in, it was a, it was a different feel with that deer. And he was it was a young, I think he was an eight pointer. He was a young deer. And I got back into it. He said, oh, he was a cull should have shot him because, you know, he didn't have his bays or something. And I, for me, it didn't even cross my mind, you know. I more had the rifle kind of pointing his direction in case he got angry because he was pretty revved up. But um, and he came in so close, I thought he might have a dig at me. But apart from that, no, it did. It, it, uh, for for me, a big part of the the, the trophy is, is the filming. You know, I can watch that over and over and over. Um, as yeah. soon as I pull that trigger, I know the story stops. Yeah, true. Was your heart racing in that respect when you was like right in front and you're like, holy crap, this is amazing. Uh, there was a couple little flutters when he kind of he you know he, he was trying his darndest to to win me and um but he, he at first there was only maybe two instances where he seemed aggressive and uh, apart from that he was very inquisitive so I, I kind of got that feel other than yes I've had I've had you know full hair raising while they're roaring at me thinking oh this one is he's, he's gonna have a go and I'll put something between me and it but no nah, this one was a little bit different he was yeah I think it might have been his first time getting in close to a human as well. I'm more talking about also the fact that just just a deer's coming in so close, I'd be like, holy crap, this is amazing, and my heart would just be racing anyway, regardless of whether I thought he was going to try and do yeah. something to me. I'd be like, oh, my God, this is just like filming it and then roar it, man. It must have been a great experience. It was, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, that's I live for that kind of stuff. Like out of all that, you know, you'll see the stuff, you know, the wet conditions we endured and, and all that stuff. And walking endlessly every day, just kind of feeling pretty deflated, and then something like that happens, and you just oh, this is this is why you know you get up early at four in the morning, and yeah, it all comes together. So yeah, really, really uh, pays off for those those types of experiences. Yeah, one of the biggest things that people don't realise, and I'm not sure if your friend Stu is good on a camera or not, but. Uh, Self-filming a hunt, it's uh, very, very hard, especially when you're shooting deer. Often they sometimes, unless you've got open land and you can see them coming in or they're a fair distance away where you can get a good couple of hundred metres shot on them without seeing you. Uh, people don't realise the difficulty in setting up a tripod and trying to self-film a hunt. Tell us about the difficulties of uh, uh, filming yeah. the hunt yourself, basically. There's just, yeah, there, and that's, yeah, that's it. There's so many missed opportunities and uh, and lots of times where I don't actually pull the triggers I know that the hunt's gone out of frame I might set up a set up a camera on a tripod and facing a direction because I'm trying to get a specific shot the door deer walks into the scene I'll get into the scene and then you know I might have the bow and at full draw this thing's moved out of the frame and I'm looking back at that camera thinking this is now out of frame <laughs> so now the camera's back there and I don't have a cameraman all that kind of stuff Tony Gillan does some great um, great stuff on his channel and uh, at TG Outdoors, he does some great self-film stuff, and that's also him. He manages to make it happen a lot of times on there. But yeah, self self-filming, getting composure, getting that camera to to, to stay put, and and uh, yeah, I've had tripods blow over, um, you know, branches fall down over stuff. It, yeah, everything that goes wrong, it, it generally does. Uh, it's a, it's a whole another challenge. So I, I look to. Um, you know different cameras and 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 custom rigs i've got things that, you know that i've made to hang off my backpack to give you that kind of bird's eye and there's some new technology i've got a, a new fancy camera this one um just started using this season it's got a call, thing called uh hindsight on it and uh it's right. a cool feature basically it's in like a loop mode like your crash cam on your car so it just it continuously records while it's kind of half asleep i suppose and uh if something happens like last season when a pig charged out at me and nearly got me and I managed to unload the clip as I was running in the other direction. <laughs> um, 
it, you can hit record and it'll actually go back and save the, the last 60 seconds straight to the card. Wow, so, yeah, nice. Yeah, yeah. So, so that might win me a few after-the-fact type uh, things when in samba hunting, as you guys will know, they seem to pop up out of nowhere and scare the bejeepers out of you and, and you miss the opportunity. So, yeah, there's, um, there's lots of things like that. But, yeah, self-filming is, is very challenging, yes. It is. What can we expect in the future for videos? I mean, more deer hunting videos. What do you What do you want to do? What do you want to achieve? Where do you want it to go? All of the above. Yeah, I'll probably um, I'll probably try and diversify the channel a little bit. I mean, I've got lots of other aspects that I enjoy, um, both related to hunting, but um, you know, outside of that. So I do a lot of you know motorbike stuff, and you know, with our rafting and a, and a bit of fishing and stuff like that. So. Um, I find a lot of those guys that enjoy those sports actually cross over a lot. Like, you know, lots of the guys I talk to that enjoy their motorbikes, they're also into hunting and vice versa and fishing and, and whatnot. So I, I might just try and um, open up the um, the form a little bit with my channel and, and film a few of those other adventures and just, you know, see how, how the response is to that. And if, uh, if people enjoy that style of content, I might just do a little bit more of that and it might just open people's eyes up that have that, that do one of those other sports that haven't seen hunting before if they get you know attracted to that thing and like that the adventure side of stuff and uh yeah that's that's kind of this year hopefully we don't have any more restrictions i can get out i've been really starved for time on the ground um i'm kind of a year behind i like to stay in front with a couple of edits up my sleeve but yeah, this, uh, this year I'm just going to have to throw it out there as I make it. So mm. Yeah, no. I didn't actually ask you. Tell people the YouTube channel, what the name is, even though I've got the title will be Into the Mountains. Tell them where they yeah. can find it. Tell them where they can find it. I mean, I think I forgot to mention that, which is the most important part. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, on YouTube, yeah, Into the Mountains, their little white and black logo there. And uh, if uh, I, I put up just a few stills from time to time on Instagram, and that's um, Into the Mountains, Oz, OZ at the end. And I think you're right too. I think it's a great idea, actually. And uh, you know, a lot of people are talking about you know, you know, not just crossing over, but there seems to be a lot of people interested in you know in what we do. Not not, not where's in me and you, but just in general of you know making videos and things like that. Like there seems to be a lot of interest in you know four wheel driving videos and 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 people doing yeah. these overlanding trips and just camping trips. I mean, there's one guy I sort of can't remember his name off part, but right now, but you know, these guys are getting forty, fifty, hundred thousand views. And they're just enjoying themselves around a campfire, bit of four wheel driving stuff, bit of you know just relaxing cooking around the camp and it's just it's just unbelievable people love it i think it's good to branch out to the you know, other types of avenues as well like you know four-wheel driving as you said doing other things camping you know fishing yep. um i think it just opens up a lot more you know people to be able to, to be drawn to the channel as well you know yeah, exactly i mean with uh, like you know your ronnie dales and those guys that have got the you know the four-wheel drive stuff i mean yeah, hunters are. We we all have the same skill sets. You know, we're we're decking out our cars and and doing vehicle builds and and customising. So a bit more comfortable. You've got, you know, all your downrange work that you you know doing building up rifles and fitting them out and and getting your load data right. And then you got your butchering and and your um your kitchen skills. You know, things like hanging meat and and procuring and doing your small goods recipes. There, there's so many facets to cover. That a hunter, you know, is a very multiple skill and, and multi hat kind of guy, and um, yeah, a lot of that can get lost when we're just looking at videos of just you know blazing animals. And you know, I think um, there's so much more to hunting and so much more to the way of life and the culture around it. Um, you know, the, all the gear and trying to help people make good selections with gear and stuff like that. So there's a lot of knowledge to be shared there, and um, you know, hopefully that your viewers you know, get a lot out of that. And that's that's generally what I want to share is, is all the good side of things and the things to help other people. And 
you know, together, I think, you know, the more we attract it, the good guys that are out there doing the same thing, the, the healthier it's going to be for our sport and the more likely we are to be able to hold on to it as it is. True, and that's the that's the content I think that people like is they you know, want to find out about gear and stuff. I don't know how many times I've, or how much money I'd actually have in, in my pocket still. If you know, I thought oh, I wanted to buy this item, maybe I didn't spend enough that I should have, or you know, I, probably people get sick of me saying this, but I've said it about a thousand times on the show. You know, when I first got my deer rifle, you know, you probably think you'd put a you know three to nine by forty on it. Well, I put a six to twenty four by fifty on it, and I'm thinking after a while, I'm like, why on earth did I do this? Like, what an idiot! You know, like, and then I thought, you know, a little yeah, especially when you're you know, hunting state forests up here in New South Wales, for an example. Like, I'm like, man, a two to seven would have been by thirty two, for an example, or whatever would have been more than ample for this type of hunting, or a three x nine forty, for an example. I mean, it's just amazing how you, you you buy things and you go, oh, that didn't work, but this really yeah. works. Then you see other people doing things and it's just crazy how we spend all this money and then sometimes we come back to a more uh, slimline i guess uh yeah package of items that we actually really and use all the time that's it that's the crux of it and there's so many I, one of the big that was another big motivator us with, with youtube channel was uh, I, i'd go on, you know about to invest in something quite big i could never find an unbiased it was always you know put out there by marketing or the manufacturers or you know, it was all glossy kind of things or someone was given something. They didn't actually purchase it. They didn't spend their hard-earned and then go and do a video about it and tell all the good and bad out of it. So, you know, when I find something, if I think it's really good and it can help, you know, other people, you know, I'll give it the time and, and do a little review on it and hopefully if people are looking to spend that, you know, I don't have to answer to those companies. I can tell it how it is and put all the pros and cons in there and, you know, that's just my opinion but hopefully someone – can draw on a few of those things and ask a few questions and, and yeah, away you go. So you work in the industry as well. You let us sort of say what you do or? Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, I work uh, work with Rob Fickling at Maroka 30. and um, There's a free yeah, plug been- for Rob. There you go, Rob. You make sure you <laughs> tell him tomorrow you got a good free plug here at AHP because he's, he's a good guy. Yeah, yeah, he is. Yeah, Rob's uh, been a spear tip for a lot of things in the industry over the years and I suppose in the early days when um, when I got on there, I had a lot of ideas of my own and a lot of things that I, I thought would be good for the hunting industry and, and want to produce. And Rob's been a great facilitator of those um, those things and making those ideas come alive uh, with his contacts and his resources there. And together, we've been a good team. We've been working on a lot of really cool products. And we've got lots of really – I can't say too much about some new products coming out this year. They're um, – uh, the the cat's not out of the bag with those yet, but that's pretty exciting stuff for us. And last year we we dropped a few really good ones as well with our new uh, rifle slings and you know binder rigs and stuff like that. But um, yeah, we've got new fabrics and technologies always on the horizon, and uh, and I love working in there. I get to meet all uh, customers coming into the store and, and talk hunting stories most of the day, and um, you know we share. Um, or maybe I'm a bit too generous with my spots, but generally the camp boys will come in there and we'll give them a start on a map and and get them out there and um yeah it's a it's a good thing and um, rob's a, a very busy man with beyond the divide and, and uh and manufacturing side of things so i kind of hold the fort down there during the week so what we can't drop any new manufacturing items there any fresh tips for us here at ahp we can look forward to any product uh you know exposes or you can't give it away yet um oh well there is a new actually i don't want to get you fired you better not (laughs) just in case i don't want to get you fired no no we're working on a new pack there's uh there's kind of a two-year um r&d kind of thing in it but i won't say much about how it works but 
it's I can honestly say that it will be the the comfiest, one of the lightest packs on the market. Uh, it will be very multi-purpose. Uh, it will also be uh, entirely Aussie made. Um, you know, using the latest technologies, carbon fiber, et cetera, et cetera. So it's a, it's a it's a massive leap, leaps and bounds on uh, anything else that we've seen out there. So. Yeah, um, yeah, I don't have to be humble about that. That's we've we've put a lot into this, and I've got a whole room downstairs that is wall to wall with packs from all over the world. And um, yeah, this thing is going to be the tits. It's great. Excellent. There you go, guys. Uh, if you, if uh, Daz is not going to be working there next week, we're sorry. We did we didn't mean to give you the expose <laughs> on what's happening. So last thing I want to do tomorrow is get a call. So he's no longer working there. So <laughs> um, I want to talk about hunting in Victoria. Actually, that's uh, predominantly what I want to do about this show. I mean, we I know you do hunt a lot of different places as well, but a lot of people don't live in Victoria, but there are some great hunting opportunities, some great uh, public land hunting opportunities as well. So what can Victoria offer for in the way of hunting opportunities? I mean, I live in New South Wales. I've been down yep. there many years ago, probably 11, 2011, young, fresh-faced, 27-year-old or whatever I was back then. Um you know, I was duck hunting, so what opportunities does uh, Victoria offer in the way of, you know, game species, people want to travel down there, is there places to hunt, public land, what can they expect, etc.? Yeah, so, you know, in Victoria, in terms of hunting is, is, in my opinion, the place to be. We have about, oh, it's probably about 4 million hectares of public land hunting in Victoria, um, and there's honestly never been a better time, I mean, you know, it holds... It, Seasons like for say Samara all year round with no bag limit, and and same with most of the species that are down here, bar say hog hoggies. Um, you know you can hunt the accessibility. There's probably forty thousand registered deer hunters there. If you come down and you get a uh, a GMA deer hunting permit, as long as you meet the minimum caliber, you know two seventy, you're one hundred thirty grain is minimum, or if you're a bow hunter, fifty pounds, kind of you know, with an arrow of four hundred grains or more. Um, you know, you can stalk them, you can use a gun dog, you can, um, you do need an extra permit for your scent trailing hounds. Um, lots of different ways you can hunt, sit and wait or walk them up. Long range are all legal methods down here. And yeah, there's not many places, you know, around the world where you can get into a national park um, with a simple over the counter uh, ticket. And, um, you know, there's, there's kind of something for everyone there. It is, it is definitely a place to be. And then the population of deer has never been better the opportunities and the access have never been better you, you don't need a full drive you can hunt straight off the road with a two-wheel drive vehicle um yeah there really is um yeah all year, all year round hunting and and there's lots of meat lots of uh, lots of opportunities for everyone i mean if you were like someone who's getting into the the sport they they want to head out there they, they want to get into this hunting they're, they're seeing your videos other people's videos and magazines and dvds and beyond the divide tv shows etc and you know you think okay they want to get they don't know where to go they don't know what they're doing you know what do you recommend for them to do join a club is it you know better off to hunting northern victoria eastern victoria towards the coast you know central victoria western victoria southwestern victoria where do you think they should be hunting where should they concentrate their efforts about public land without obviously giving away you know any of your hunting spots obviously yeah yeah i'm definitely the first place going people can come from two different kind of you know walks i suppose ones that have been around firearms and ones that haven't I suppose if you've been around firearms all your life and you're just looking to get into deer, um, yeah, get all your permits and whatnot. Just check out the GMA or the More to Explore app so you can see all of the ins and outs of where you can and can't hunt, um, seasons and bag limits and et cetera. 
And um, they've got lots of maps that are listed on there where you can and can't hunt and what, you know, deer species are in which areas. But generally, most of the bushland now, um, especially kind of central and and eastern, holds Samba in good numbers. Um, probably some of the really strongholds for Samba around that Mansfield, Lake Ilden area, that's always been a stronghold for Samba. There's lots of good hunting. Yes, there's lots of people that hunt in those areas but it's easily balanced out by the sheer population of deer there. You've got a mix of um, state forest and national park there, so you can be you know, dog-friendly if you need to be or you can you know, stay away from the hound hunters if you want and just jump over into the park. Um, but, yeah, that's, that's a great place to probably start. You're going to see sign. You're going to get honked. You might even see a few butts of deer. The deer are pretty highly strung there. Um, they know what's going on, so... The way I see it is if you can cut your teeth there and get one on the deck, you can hunt anywhere. Um, but then, you know, certainly once you head up into the, the high altitude stuff, it, it changes a little bit. It becomes um, more mountainous. The deer have become more scarce in numbers out there. Probably better quality of deer up in those areas, um, but up towards the northeast kind of area and eastern. Um, and then it changes more into, um, you know, watching the weather and, 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 getting your kit right and, and spending more time on the ground, you know, that's a different type of hunt. For the guys that just want to jump in the car, spend two or three hours out of Melbourne and and pull the rifle out and go for a walk around, yeah, I reckon those um, those central areas around around that Mansfield kind of pool is probably a good place to start out. What about mapping? Obviously, there's a, you know, sort of maps there. But is there any digital maps online so people know, like, in, like, put on their GPS? I mean, I know State Forest here do, like, a Venza map. So as soon as you're in the basic vicinity, you just hit that GPS of, like, where, you know, so you're on the map and then you know where you can hunt, where you can't hunt, you know, the green, obviously the red where you can't hunt, et cetera, what places are off limits. Is something like that available in Victoria, you know, for people that want to hunt down there so that, okay, I can hunt right here, but beyond this green or something I can't hunt? Is that cyber system available or how do you how do you manage that with a mapping system? Yeah, so that's only become available in recently and it's still in its kind of infant stages. So we had hard copy maps um, not too long ago. Um, recently, when we moved over to a, a GMA map mapping system through the GMA app, it was still a hard copy map that was you could never see yourself on live or anything like that. Now, um, the government's brought out this thing called More to Explore, um, and that it's getting better. They've um, they've updated a lot of the stuff on there, uh, and it's still being worked on pretty thoroughly. But you can click basically um, species based maps now. So if you look, say deer, click on Samba, uh, and then the, it, the map will get coloured, and and it's uh, it's a live map. It's active. You can zoom in, GPS, all that kind of stuff, and you can see where all your boundaries are. Now, if you use that in conjunction with something like a Venza or, or Google Earth or something like that and put your satellite on, you're going to be able to get a really good representation um, of where you want to be. But, yeah, in all instances, you should really check with the local authorities if, you, if you're hunting close to boundaries. But, but generally, if you're away from the boundaries edge, it's pretty safe that, to, to go off that map and, and happy days. And just watch the some of the parks are anomalies in that they're not always all year round. So um some say say the Ilda national park will have a break over the christmas period it'll also have a break over the easter period whereas some of the other parks are all year round um, so yeah just important to check those things from park to park perfect quick break guys we'll be right back are you looking to buy a new or used firearm do you want to sell that safe queen to fund your next purchase then go to ozgunsales.com We have over 200 registered firearms dealers Australia-wide and thousands of shooters using the site daily. 
There are over 2,500 firearms listed, so you're certain to find exactly what you're looking for. We have over 50 years of firearms industry experience, including 8 years online. So why wouldn't you advertise with us? The one and only genuine original Ozguns. Does I want to talk about, you know, some people will come to Victoria and they say, ah, well, you know... I'm going to go public land. There's nothing there. I'm not going to shoot anything. I mean, you're sort of a prominent dude within the industry. So what? how would you weigh up your public land hunting versus your pr- uh, private land hunting? So, you know, was it 50-50? Do you do more private? Do you do more public? Because, you know, some people are going to look at it and go, ah, oh, why waste my time? There's nothing there. It's all shot out. Everyone goes there. There's nothing there. And, you know, not without even giving it a try. Yeah, I yeah down here in Victoria, I'd say the opposite is true. I, I spend probably ninety percent of my hunt is in public land, like State Forest National Park. Um, yeah, the, I mean the private lands with Samba, they become a lot easier to pattern, um, being that you know they're kind of I kind of classify them as a year fringe dwelling <laughs> deer, and then you've got <laughs> your genuine your genuine bush deer, you know, the ones that have never seen improved pasture, the ones that are. That are growing out there with um yeah being a uh, more of a, a browser rather than a grazer the the deer do really well when they've got the right kind of browse and with the right gene pool and the and the right conditions the the the, the deer out in the bush can just be yeah exponential growth and and quality over the um the yeah the fringe dwelling deer so i mean certainly you can get younger deer growing out you know what they need to grow out faster that's for sure but um, yeah, I just love getting out there and chasing those um, the deer that have you know they're they're just so much sharper. I mean, I can put it even back to rabbits. You know, out in my backyard here, I could almost you know run out and catch one of my bare hands there around people all the time. But <laughs> yeah. you get, you go out on the farm, you know, and you can't get within a hundred meters of one of those rabbits out there. And same with the deer. The deer on the farm, I can get pretty close to, and in nowhere near as much of a challenge as. Uh, as the ones out in the bush, they are just razor sharp. When one thing is out of place, they are onto you and it creates a whole new challenge. So, yeah, for me, the, the public land deer are, are the ones that I chase, the ones I love. I'm a landowner. I've got deer coming up to my backyard and, you know, we could shoot any number of those for meat any time. And lots of people say, why don't you hunt your own property? And it's just not the same for me. It's, it, there's no adventure to it. There's no, um, you know, that, that, that chase, that fair chase thing. There's none of that in there. So, yeah, going up to uh, the bush and and getting out there with with all the other people, and you know that's how I love to do it. I know it's probably a bit of a, a boring part, but I think it's a very important part. Um, you know, safety. A lot of people want to go out there. You know, I don't want to hear people waking up dead tomorrow, so to speak, is my mm. saying. Uh, you know, you've got family, friends. No one wants to be attending your funeral. You know, it's irresponsible to go out there and, and not take the, the proper safety precautions. So uh, what do you think? So just a couple of safety tips. I'll give one straight away. EPIRB, make sure you've got an EPIRB on. You don't leave home without one. Even more so if you're hunting on your own. Um, you know, I've got guys that, you know, have basically gone out and they go, oh, but I've got the, the snake bandage. And I said, yeah, but you're going to wrap it up, man. You've got no EPIRB. What are you going to do? You got, you, you know, you're too far away from someone with a UHF, you know, you're over the next ridge. You, 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 sorry, your um, uh, UHF is not going to travel that far. What options do people have? Can you just rattle off a couple that you take out there? Because, you know, you've got a, a son or a daughter on the way. You don't want to be getting a – wife doesn't want to be getting a call. Shit, Daz is gone. Well, that's the last thing we need. So give us some yeah. tips for safety. Yeah, well, being in the industry for a long time and, and guiding and working in the mountain industry for a long time, I've seen a lot of the yeah, adventures go south really quick from bones hanging out of legs to anaphylactic shock to snake bites, like you name it. It happens and it happens really fast. So 
like you said, PLBs and beacons these days, I think you're mad not investing at least one between your group. You don't need all need to have them necessarily, but just at least one for the cost of it, you're mad not to. Um, and, you know, going back to you think there's, say, 40,000 registered deer hunters out there and a lot of them aren't experienced around centerfires. You know, centerfire rifles, very, very unforgiving kind of thing. You do not want to get hit with one of those. So it, me personally, I wear blaze when I'm ever in public land um, and especially if I get a deer on the ground, that thing looks like it's been to a disco. I'll put, you know, <laughs> I might even take my shirt off. I'll, I'll make sure that the antlers are down and it's not looking like it's walking while I'm carrying it out on my back. Good point. Um, I never thought about that, eh? Like if you've, yeah, good, very good point. Like because people often will keep an animal out and strap it to their backpack. Yeah, 100%. Mm-hmm. I've never thought about that. Yeah, barrel tips down, yeah, muzzle cover, et cetera. Those little things can, you know, someone is standing on the opposite face and seeing some trees rattle around because they sort of stay or walk in there or their buddies go and think I've seen a deer over there and they see the tip of a rifle or the tip of an antlers and they take a two foot down and two foot across kind of approach to their shot. You never know. You yeah. don't want to be in there. So I get a really unnervy feeling when I'm carrying animals out. So I usually will take my shirt off or make sure I'm, I'm not looking like any fur or brown type colors as I'm going through, you know. So the other, the other big thing with safety, I've had a few misadventures when I was a young fellow myself, not making it back to camp and spending very, very long, cold nights out all by myself. Um, you know, making a plan and letting someone know, it comes back to what we learned back at school or in scouts or whatever. That's, that is key. If someone doesn't know when you plan to be back. No one's going to miss you. And out there when it's cold, if something does happen to you, a simple rolled ankle has absolutely changed the course of our trip. And, um, you know, big guy, the only way he's coming out there is in quarters. You know, I can't carry him out. So if you're by yourself, um, letting someone know, you, you might stand a chance where someone might actually come looking for you. So adapt and prepare for the worst is the other one. You know, if um, if the weather's really bad and, and you plan and you've taken time off and everything, you know, sometimes you've got to make that call to, you know, adapt or, or, or just pull the pin or shift areas, you know, and preparing for the worst. There's a heap of gear. Everyone tries to get lighter and lighter all the time and, you know, you may or may not use it. But things like a snake bandage and those things that, yeah, you, you might not ever use, but if you don't have them and it does happen, it's it could be the difference between a, a good story and a bad story, that's for sure. You know, those little things like a, a second backup headlight was one of the reasons why when my first headlight gave up that I had to spend the whole night out because I could navigate in the dark. Um, yeah, good point. Had I had those things, yes, it's extra weight. Yes, you, know, you may or may not use it, but just those little things that sometimes are really worth carrying. Um, that's why you'll most often see me with a full-size pack on um, just for that reason. Mm, carry batteries. And you were talking about when they, as you said, strapping, you know, maybe a deer head at the back. I see a lot of people that don't use binos. And i got to say to people, if you're doing this, I see people do it. I don't, don't recommend it. Buy a pair of good, decent binos, mm. guys. Don't be looking through your scope at what you're, yep. you know, you don't know what it is. You're pointing a gun at something you don't know what it is. So please don't it's do a, that, please. It's, you know? it's a weekly conversation with customers coming in. They've gone out getting new to hunting and they saw someone, they're waving their hat at the person trying to get their attention and the person spins around and points a rifle at them and has a look at them and there they are thinking they're about to be shot. It's a pretty unnerving feeling when someone does it to you. It's a, it's yep. a horrible feeling actually. So, yep. yeah, I agree. Yep. Optics and, on rifles are, you know, for, for, for shooting things, yeah. not for looking at things, yeah. And you'd be surprised even, I know guys are sending other guy, oh, I don't need a set of binos. I go, yeah, get yourself a set of binos. It's just 
don't risk it. Not even for that. You just want to be able to see game. People go, oh, but I'm in, you know, hunting in, you know, this, maybe this state forest. I can only see like 150. Okay, yeah, but it's what you can see through the pine that you're not going to see with your eyes. You know, that's the whole thing. How many times I've seen deer and then I've walked and then seen them just be, you know, behind, say, three or four sets of pines 100 metres away that I can, if I can see through the pine. And I said, you don't want to be looking through a scope, looking and staring at something, and it turns out to be a person. I mean, even though blaze orange is mandatory in, in New South Wales, I mean, which I think is great, you know, again, I don't think it's, as far as I'm aware, it's not mandatory in Victoria, but I would wear it anyway, and I would encourage people mm-hmm. to wear it because you'd be mad. People have been shot in different states from this sort of thing. So, you know. Yep. I'm like, the, the amount of blaze orange I wear, I thought, well, even though I have a hat on a previous one, another tip for some people too, I just sort of throw out there, when you are, if you are carrying deer, I've been to those, you know, those Asian shops that sell like fabric and stuff like that, normally on the big rolls, you might have seen them, you know, sort of the, sometimes yep. you can go to different places. I find one where they might have like a stretchy material, but it's blaze orange, and then I buy like a metre of it, cut it up into sort of maybe strips, like whatever wide, and then sometimes I've just, just, just tied it to my backpack, or if you've got a deer on your back, tie it to the antlers, so at least it's blaze orange, at least if someone's, you know, you know, sees you from behind, are they going to go? Oh shit! I'm seeing blaze orange there as well. So, yep. just just a tip for people. I used to tie it to my backpack and just let it hang down. You know, that way, if I did my backpack on, and I had a shirt or a, a little blaze orange, you know, maybe a jacket or whatever it may be, at least they're going to see something from behind if it's covered by the pack. Yeah, they can see the hat, but hey, you can never have too many pieces of blaze orange, can you? I think mm, we use flagging tape the same way. So we'll use. If I've done a cross gully shot in the afternoon and there's every chance by the time we get over that deer, it's going to be virtually dark. So I'll, I'll from my shooting position, I'll flag my way over to that deer every, you know, 30, 40 metres. And then I'll, when I get the deer on the ground, I'll wrap that flagging tape around, it, around its, you know, antlers and whatnot. And it gives me something to aim back to. If it turns dark and I've got to get back, at least with the headlight, I can go from tape to tape and pull that tape off as I walk back on that line. And if anyone ever had to come and get me, say I cut myself with a scalpel and um, you know, I've hit an artery and I've got to sit there, well, if they hit that flagging tape line, well, they're going to find me pretty bloody quick, aren't they? Yeah, good idea. And you don't think about it. It's another good, very good point you've brought up too. Is like, you know, you, you go over to the deer and it's on the ground and you're bent over. I mean, again, mm-hmm. could be extremely dangerous. And again, that's really something I haven't thought of either. So you've certainly opened my eyes today too to about a certain a few things as well. You know, you're on the ground, you could be bent over, even though you got your hat on or you got your shirt on, but you're bent over at the waist. And they can't see you. Yeah. Very good point, guys. You know, have something there. For, you know, put some something on the as you said that flagging tape. I've never seen that stuff before, yeah. but I'll be certainly. Uh, searching for it after this video that's also this podcast that's for sure so yeah good tips man great stuff mate top three tips even though we did go through this a little bit previously on our state forest hunt just a couple of good top three tips man for you know public land hunting just hunting in general man in victoria yeah my my top three is pretty consistent and i'm not sure i can't remember our last um little throw on that but um we can dive in a bit deeper if you want but for me the top three of always the same and it, it's knowledge is king like knowing your quarry like i said when i was learning and it was trial and error you know i probably wasted the best part of kind of eight years of um of learning traits behaviors dispelling myths and you know having hunters and then finally speaking to other hunters and see if they have the same thing and your knowledge pick up a book get on if book if reading isn't your thing get on a youtube or Go and do one of the courses. There's some great courses out there that will absolutely wipe off the learning curve of your honey if you're getting into it. Things like the Hunter Ed course from the Australian Deer Association. Um, guys like Paul Bogues that do a Hunter Ed course. You know, you can go one on one or in a group. You know, they're well oiled, well polished machines. So 
learning your quarry, learning things about, um, you know, the diet, the the basic needs of, of shelter, water, sex, those kind of things, like that will really, really ensure that you have, you know, success more frequently. I, I judge a hunter not by the animals that they're shot, but by the ability of them going to a new area that they haven't been in before and being able to locate animals. And, you know, that if you can do that consistently, then you, you're kind of on the right path. So that's number one is is knowledge. Um, the wind is my second one. Um, yep. That's a big one with deer is is learning their their senses and how to overcome their senses. And the big one with deer and samba in particular is their, their scent and that all works with thermals and wind. So learn how deer interact with wind and how they interact with thermals, the difference between a thermal and, and the wind. And, and um, yeah, that's a massive topic. That's a, it's a whole podcast in itself, but that's a big one. And, and finally, um, and you'll hear this from most hunters with most game, and it's the old, it's just slow down, look more, walk less. That is, that's something that I'm always reminding myself of. And every time that I have a break or, or sit down or slow down, the magic just seems to happen. And a lot of those old guys, you know, there was an old guy at the ADA, he'd always tell Charlie, he'd always seem to be the guy that didn't walk as far as anyone else, but it would always get the most consistent results. And, you know, he'd, he'd find a bit of sign, he'd walk up that sign, he'd get to a point where, that you know, he'd see enough and he'd find somewhere that had a, an overlooking view of that and he'd just sit down and wait. And um, yeah, that that's um, there's a lot to be learnt from from slowing right down. That's for sure. <laughs> I was about to say, it sounds like the dog out there is chasing the bloody rabbits around, is he? Or <laughs> yeah, he'd be uh, he'd be pretty keen to come in here by now. Is he normally he'd be you know this time of night's uh, kind of bedtime for us around here, so he'd be uh, pretty keen to knock down that door in a minute. <laughs> no worries, man. It won't keep you too much long. We've got probably three or four more. I reckon some good ones. I just thought of one then. Yeah. You, you talk about going into the, you know, obviously the, the, the high country of Victoria. I mean, how does that sort of fare to the, you know, lower elevation terrain stuff, probably especially around it being cold, you know, safety, that mm-hmm. all that. How does, it, how does it differ between between being in that high country versus the lower elevation stuff? Um, lower elevation stuff, certainly um, the way that Victoria is laid with the Great Dividing Range coming down to us, obviously the closer it gets towards Melbourne, the, the lower-lying areas certainly hold more deer, um, but it also is where it changes over to, to private land. So there's a lot of strongholds, a lot of small acreage, um, so therefore a lot more deer and a lot more people interacting with the deer. Higher elevation stuff, um, the deer peter out there, not as in in yeah, the big dense kind of populations that we see closer closer to town here. So that's probably the the marked difference. I think um, you know, a lot of emphasis is on culling up in the high areas, and I honestly don't think there's as many deer as there is down here on on the lower lying areas. Um, but it is generally a lot thicker. It's not as not as good for humans. Put it that way. <laughs> You can't yeah, really yeah. glass as much. It's thicker. Um, the deer absolutely love it. There's a lot of regolith. A lot of those areas low-lying were logs back in the day, so there's a lot of um, kind of undesirables that are grown in there at a, at a really dense rate. So, yeah, hunting the places locally, especially to where I am here, is uh, is very challenging. I like the thick stuff personally. I find it a, a different challenge, um, but you need to do your homework and, and put in that groundwork, and it's a whole different story hunting that thick stuff, yeah. Goes back to our previous question a little bit, but can you put people's mind that these people say, "Oh, yeah, okay, there, okay." Dad said there is animals there; it's good, uh, but there's no big animals. I'm not going to get good-sized animals mm. in there. I might get a meat animal. Is that is that true, or is that totally untrue? They're going to get some. If you do do the work, you can get some fantastic uh, trophy animals. 
Yeah, well, yeah, like I said, there's a trophy for everyone, and you will get a representable animal. Absolutely, you will. Um, yeah, my my area around Noogie area, I personally haven't seen for six or seven years with having a dozen cameras out. I've never really seen anything over that kind of 26, 27 mark and pretty weak at that. But that's for a lot of people is a fantastic trophy, you know. Like I know these days the benchmark's at kind of 30, but, you know, they're an exceptional animal. Um, that need you know a lot of things uh, inc- including genetics but um you know some of some of my um, best year and in Ildum, uh, even even with all the pressure that it's got still produces fantastic animals um year in year out you know there's always good deer getting shot in there so yeah absolutely the, the public land and, and the closer place will still produce a representable tro- from a trophy point of view um a, a good healthy animal with um with a good set of antlers yeah no worries at all Favourite place to, to hunt in Australia and also on the flip side, where's a place that you want to hunt in the future that you haven't hunted before? Mm. Oh, ALP, while we've got access to the park, yeah, for me that's everything. That That's that's the whole kit and caboodle. It's the full package. We've got you know, those beautiful views. Um, you've got all that different tundra and growth like from, from up on the snow grass with the snow gums all the way down in those dense gullies, um, you know, the stands of mountain ash and tree ferns. There's so much diversity and and the deer have really adapted into all of those facets. So there's so many different ways you can enjoy the hunt up there. You know, you can get the snow in there. You can It can be stinking hot. You can have, you know, so many different other um, macropods and animals to, um, to enjoy up there. So for me, yeah, the park is uh, a very unique thing. I feel very privileged to be able to get in there and, and hunt the um, the national park. So um, that's definitely my favourite place to hunt. But, um, yeah, looking forward. I mean, a few bucket list hunts for me and, and places, you know, I'm, I'm absolutely addicted to the, the the antler and the horse. So there's not many other animals that I'd want to do than, say, say a, a mule deer or an elk or possibly even a moose. But things like, you know, you kind of bears and stuff like that don't really interest me. But... Yeah, I'd love to be able to get over to um, to the states or uh, Alaska or Canada, one of those areas later on, and, and um, hunt some of those northern hemisphere kind of aspects for sure. Mate, finish off. You know, I always like to do a story, sort of a bit of a signature, I guess you might say. So mm-hmm. I want to, I want to feel like I'm I'm living the story. You know, by what you're going to tell me now. So time of year, <laughs> yeah. cold, hot, uh, how you're feeling. Um, yeah, just I want to hear the whole story. Just something, so, uh, basically a story that stands out, and you go, "Wow, man, that was probably one of the best days in my life." Sort of stories. Uh, okay, that's a big one. <laughs> uh, <laughs> of all yeah, the experiences, I'll, mate, something that stands out. It could be fun or something funny happened. It could be whatever you want, man, you know, like whatever all, you. I'm sitting in my office right now and the thing that's standing out to me is the head that's looking. I've got a, a mount that's in my office right now. He's um, kind of outstretched and looking out towards me. So I can uh, I can talk about him. There's, um, I don't get too many too many mounts done and the ones that do have, have got a special place in my heart and, or a, a good memory to go with. So. Yeah, he came about um, – I've been hunting the high country for a little while um, in this particular area and I could see a lot of sign, but I hadn't seen uh, – I hadn't got eyes on any stags in this area. It was uh, it was the first dump of snow, so we went up – I always try and time my alpine hunts before the gates close when those first dumps of snow come in because they kind of they, – they push the deer around, you know. The, the grass hasn't gone sour yet. All the deer are high, the snow comes in and they'll tolerate a bit of it, but generally they get a bit antsy and they walk around and it pushes them out a little bit of their comfort zone. So we got up early, uh, went into a spot that um, I'd been honked at a few times and I knew held deer and I um, 
got in at sun up and I uh, walked down this face and opposed down below me there was a small small creek. It was a very quiet creek, so only a trickle. And um, on the other side, there's a good, really good game trail that comes up from a gully head, and um, and there's a small thicket in that game trail. And I walked through that small thicket before, and there was quite a few beds in a standard tea tree. And um, and I'd sat down and I'd been glassing the opposite face. There's a fair bit to glass and pick apart, and um, and it's fairly open. Yeah, you can see most of it at a glance. But I thought it's worth just running the binos over in case one's sitting behind a tree or something that I hadn't seen. And and then, you know the thermal starting to lift the fogs, the fogs coming up, and I was a bit worried that the fog was going to kind of come in and wreck my glassing opportunity. And at this stage, I was about 250 meters across gully and. And I kind of let my guard down. I think I was having something to eat. And I just looked up and I could not believe my eyes. I saw what I thought was the biggest stag I'd ever seen. I just remember <laughs> seeing these big ivory tips. And I had to kind of like pinch myself at what I'd seen. And I saw it. And he must have walked a good 150 meters of clear country to get to where he was. And I totally missed him. And then he hit the thicket and he walked into this thicket. And uh, and I was, so, I was so worked out that I don't know why. I just picked up my stuff and I started walking straight towards him and I got down about 50 meters down and I thought what am I doing he's gonna he's in he's in there he's gonna see me so I sat back down I kind of gathered myself and I thought how am I gonna um you know get onto this deer I can't see him and I, I looked and looked and looked and with a binos I ended up sitting there and I thought I'm just gonna have to wait him out and I sat there for the first two hours picking apart that thing I started thinking of every possible scenario about how he snuck out the back and all this stuff. I sat there for another two hours and now it was like lunchtime and I'm sitting there going, is he still in there? Has he walked off? Am I wasting my time? Should I be chasing him? You know, has he walked out the back and I could have been right up his butt, you know, uh, uh, into the next phase and I hadn't seen any other deer. And in the end, I just, I just doubted myself. I just thought, oh, he's, he's gone, you know, like this, this is it. This is, he, he's, he's kind of, that's his van move. So I put all my stuff on I was absolutely certain that he was not in the, the area anymore. So I, I thought, I'll just get the win right and I'll walk where I last saw him on that game trail and I'll see if I can walk him up. So I crossed down, crossed the creek, went up, but I went far, went right downwind and I went up onto that game trail and bang, I saw his prints clear as day on this on this game trail. You know, it had a little bit of wetness to it and it was unequivocally no mistaking this um Thing. And I said to a mate where I was going to be in the area I was going to be that weekend, and uh, and he was a no-show, but he did say he might come up the next day, and I told him what channel the radio I'd be on. So I had the radio on and just down on low, and I started walking this game trail up. I'm getting closer and closer to this thicket, and I've got the binos up, and I'm looking through this thicket, and I can pretty much see all the way through it. And I was just, yeah, from this angle, now I, I'm sure if a deer's standing there, he's not there. So I kind of picked up the pace a little bit. and. Um, a crackle came on the radio, and uh, and it was a mate. He goes, "Hey, yeah, where are you?" And I was like, "Oh, I'm down this gully, and I'm so bummed, man. I just saw this massive stag. I've been sitting on him all morning, and I just cannot see him." And then I couldn't believe it. Right in front of me, and I've just spoken on the radio, and the radio has bounced back to me. It 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 may be oh, eight to nine meters. There's a tree that's fallen down, and the branches that have fallen on top of it had made like a, a kind of little like a little cubby kind of thing and and all the leaf litter and everything had built up to it and this stag had crawled in underneath it and he was sitting in amongst this timber right in front of me and i just remember his head 
and the antlers turning and all I could see was a bit of fur, a bit of an ear, a bit of an antler and he was under it and I had no shot. He's right in front of me and the radio's on and I've just spoken and I'm just thinking my heart is in my mouth. I've gotten, I don't even have one up the spout. I'm just like, oh my God, I've just cocked this up and I'm just, time has, has absolutely frozen and I had a browning morale at this stage which often, you know, for me with a browning morale, you, you've got to actually pull it's spring loaded. You can pull it back, but it does load pretty quick. Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, and I've got my hand on the bolt, and I'm looking at this deer, and he's still in his bed, and I can see him swiveling his ears around, but he can't see me, and I can't really see him, but I can I know he's right there in front of me, and I'm thinking, I've got no shot. If he breaks left, he runs down to the creek, and he's out of here. And if he goes away from the thicket, I can't see him either. And just at that point, I don't know why he did it. He just stood up, and he like had a stretch. And he just seemed to be totally unaware that I was right there and that I'd just spoken. He just, it was just his day. He just <laughs> kind of, it just didn't happen. And he just took one step out and I could see right through the gap. I could see where his leg ran up to his chest and where it intersected in a little triangle. And I remember looking through the scope and I had a three to 15 scope and I could not see. And I ended up walking straight along the barrel and I just pulled the trigger. And I'll never forget the, the way the light. The, the blood of his heart just went flying out the other side and he let out this almighty groan like a grizzly bear and he just rolled over and then my mate came on the radio and gets, said, was that you? <laughs> and I said, that was me. You're not going to believe this. And uh, and I walked up to him and it wasn't until I rolled him over and realised, yeah, what was on the ground and it was, uh, yeah, taken at very, very close quarters and that was obviously that – that day, that deer, just, uh, yeah, I got the drop on him. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's something that's yeah, stuck in my head. It's never happened to me like that again. But, uh, yeah, I don't know why I didn't just bolt out of that bed that day. <laughs> mm. Oh, man. The experiences we have while out hunting, it's unbelievable, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's just one of the memories. There's lots of them, but it's all, it's all about getting out there and making more memories. Just very quickly, it's a very, very quick one. So obviously there's a lot of gear whores out there. We've been, we didn't even talk about gear. So just quickly, calibre you mm-hmm. use for deer, scope you got right now on it, and what load you're running or what uh, factory or reloading you're running from it? Uh, I, I run quite a few rifles, but probably for mountain hunting, um, you know, that's probably my the rifle I spend the most time with at the moment. Is um is my uh, my psycho carbon light that's chambered in seven mil rem mag. Um, I've done a few hand loads for it, but to be honest, um, it's not a real advantage over the factory loads. The factory ammo is actually really bloody good these days. Uh, and I've got a Swarovski uh, Z5 on that one. Um, Z6, sorry, Z6, Z6. It's a three three point five to eighteen by forty four. Um, with the the BDC rifle and then the um, the ballistic turret on it as well, and um, yeah, I'm comfortable. That's got a set trigger on it, and you know, as long as it's got a four or less on it, it it does it does the work. It's um it's got plenty of punch, and it's a mild mildly recalling. Uh, I'm pretty sensitive to recall, so I don't shoot any massive cannons. Um, but that is a nice gun to shoot without a break, anyway. Um, with the yeah, factory, probably, what are you running? What weight bullet out of the factory ammo? Uh, one six eight out of that is the sweet spot for that for that yeah twist rate and everything of that rifle. It seems to work well for me anyway. All right, mate. It's been great having you on the show. So just again, quickly, if you could just tell us about the uh, YouTube where where people can go to find it, and also what other avenues uh, of social media you're on, that'd be great. 
Yep. So yeah, uh, YouTube is into the mountains, and um, yeah, you can uh, just follow any pictures or uh, yeah, the, the the Instagram stuff we do. I'm really only on the Instagram is uh, into the mountains uh, OZ Oz. Uh, they're the two two spots to um, check out some content. Perfect, mate. Great. Uh, Daz Hawkins joins me here on the Australian Hunting Podcast from Into the Mountains. Fantastic. Daz, thanks for coming on the show. I really appreciate it. Hopefully, uh, we can do it again soon. Thanks a lot. All right. Thanks, Jason. Uh, Stay safe, hunters. You've been listening to an episode of the Australian Hunting Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it. See you next time.